And if we're always externalizing those wins and those successes, what happens the next time you have another win? You're always gonna say, oh, I fooled him again. Oh, I did it again, I fooled him again. And so you're constantly living in that state of suspension, that fear of being found out. That's a big part of imposter syndrome is just dealing with the stress of when am I gonna get busted for being a fraud? Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, I've I've known you for, gosh, fifteen years now, and we're finally going to therapy together. <laughs> yeah, well, can we cut that out? <laughs> I don't want to admit that I go to therapy. <laughs> No, this is this is going to be a fun topic today, and uh, I, I think that a lot of people will will find that it resonates with them, and there's probably some things they need to think on, or maybe they can feel a little bit relieved after listening to this too. But uh, excited to welcome Carolyn to the podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us, Carolyn. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about imposter syndrome before we introduce you? Just what is imposter syndrome? Well. Imposter syndrome, I'm going to start with what imposter syndrome is not. It is not a fancy word or term for low self-esteem. Uh, think about self-esteem as a universal sense uh, we have about ourselves, a kind of this global sense we have about ourselves. Imposter syndrome, on the other hand, is very specific to achievement arenas, uh, work, school, business, career, uh, and obviously you work with business owners and uh, general contractors. So, um, you know, you don't feel like an imposter when you're taking out the garbage or walking the dog, but when you might be in a situation where you're supposed to be in a room with other general contractors or with a really super fancy client or something like that, um, that starts to change the situation a little bit. And um, when we talk about what imposter syndrome is, the actual term imposter phenomenon um, was first coined in 1978 by two psychologists, um, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And, and, what it, and it became imposter syndrome kind of through popular culture. It just kind of evolved into syndrome, even though it's not a diagnosable disorder. But imposter syndrome, in short, is a belief shared by millions of people around the world um, that deep down we're really not as talented, intelligent, capable, qualified, or competent as other people think we are. And the fascinating thing about it is that these feelings exist despite concrete evidence to the contrary. So you know, our our accomplishments, whether it's a degree or a, a successful job that's been multiple jobs that have been completed, um, we still might have that sense of I'm not as capable or talented as everyone really thinks I am. Yeah, really fascinating. Yeah, you, you've got a quote on your website that says, uh, it, maybe not exactly, but every, the world is diminished when bright people play small. Yeah, everyone loses when bright people play small. Yeah. My co-founder is 
the world's leading expert on this topic, and that is her quote, Dr. Valerie yeah. Young. And what, what does that mean a little bit? Can you dive into that just a well, little bit? I mean, when people play small, things don't get done. So you, you know, you might not go for the job. You might not, um, you might not raise your hand in a meeting. So I, I know that your audience is uh, general contractors, and I happen to have I've been my partner is a general contractor, not my business partner, but my life partner. Mm. He's a GC. So I can, you know, I can kind of see it in his behavior as well. But, um, you know, this is, you know, maybe a big job comes in Mm. and it's like, Oh, that's too big for us. Can we really do that? Or, um, not just saying, you know what, another, a better way to do this would be this. You know, just kind of keeping ideas, but flying under the radar, maybe procrastinating, like I'm not sure I should go for this or not. So that bright, everyone loses when bright people play small, really refers to that. Mm. It's just people aren't innovating as much as they could um, and are capable of. Yeah. So why don't you share a little bit about how you got into this field and what you do today, Carolyn? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, I kind of tripped into it. So Dr. Young and I, Dr. Valerie Young, we've known each other for about a dozen years. We met through a business mastermind. I know you run them yourselves. And so, you know, I was doing business coaching, sales training. I do a lot of business coaching for women entrepreneurs. Valerie has been working on this topic for four decades, the topic of imposter syndrome. And around the time we met, she was just um, writing her book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, which is about imposter syndrome. And she gave me a galley copy of it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so many entrepreneurs. My clients deal with imposter syndrome because I had never heard of it before either. And so... I would give her book to all of my clients over the years. And then we were talking a few years ago because Valerie and I have just always, you know, remained friends, whether we're in a business mastermind together or not. And it's I had called her one day and I said, you know, I just heard somebody deliver a talk about imposter syndrome and they referred to your five types of imposter syndrome. Does that happen a lot? I said it was kind of cool because she referenced you, but does that happen a lot? She goes, what happens more often is that people talk about my five types of imposter syndrome and they don't attribute me. They don't give me credit for my work. And then we just kind of were talking about her business in general. And I said, you know, you're out doing keynotes. You've written this book. What happens to your work when you retire? And she said, you know, so then we started like game planning and I said, I have you ever thought about licensing your work, teaching other people to deliver your keynotes, teaching people how to coach to imposter syndrome? Because as the world thought leader, you know, I don't want you to retire and have everything retire with you. Um, And so she said she would work with, she said, if I became her uh, business partner, she would uh, work with me so I could help her scale the business. So that's really that's really how I got into it. It's not like I said, "Wow, I have this, you know, great interest in imposter syndrome. 
that has been her specialty. My specialty is how do you run and scale a business? I, uh, but with that said, I've experienced it myself. I've obviously had clients experience it. So it's something I felt was really important, not just for Valerie to be able to leave a legacy, but also it just makes such a difference in the world when you know how to deal with it. And one person, two people can't do it all. We really need a lot of people who are well-informed on this topic. So all of the content we create is to help um, speakers and coaches and organizations install and instill um, the solution for, for their clients or within their organizations. So very long answer to your question. Well, I, I will say the first book I bought on the imposter syndrome just when I heard about it was called The Imposter Syndrome Cure, I think, mm -hmm. by a young lady in the UK. Mm -hmm. And she described the five types, which mm -hmm. uh, we need to get to. And then when I saw your stuff, I went back and she attributed it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, that's uh, good. She did attribute it. <laughs> yeah. We do keep an eye on it. Uh, we keep attorneys very busy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully I didn't get anybody in trouble, but no, she did, no, no, uh, no, 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 full credit. Yeah. We've got, we've got all the books. We know, you know, we know what the conversation is happening out there. I mean, the thing is, obviously everyone wants attribution, but the thing is you want people to get the correct information. So, you know, taking the five types and resharing them, we're happy that people do that as long as they are described correctly. So, right. And ultimately, we want to help people, all of this. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's the point. It, but but if somebody thinks that, you know, their type means one thing, and I mean, type is, <laughs> um, we don't like to get into this is someone's avatar or whatever, because, well, we can, yeah. We just want to, we want to describe correctly, because describe correctly, then someone knows what their situation is, and hopefully what they can do about it. Maybe this will be a fun exercise. Uh, I think I've experienced some imposter syndrome in my life. So maybe I'll share some of that and then we can diagnose me or figure out what type it is. Maybe not. Maybe this is a terrible exercise. <laughs> Who knows? But we'll find out. Um, soccer is a, I, I'm a, on the side, I, you know, I grew up playing soccer, played in college. I also coach today. And that's one of the biggest areas of my life that I have imposter syndrome. Never felt like I was good enough as a player, even though, you know, accomplishments and, um, and the like would, would say otherwise, uh, plenty of evidence to say that I, that I am good, even on a regular basis when I do get to go and play and things like that. But then especially I, I felt it when I became a coach, uh, just not feeling like I, I was qualified. And even to this day, uh, you know, we, we won a state championship last year and, um, that would be, you know, I felt a little bit of a weight off my chest for a couple of months and then immediately after that, I was like, no, it, the circumstances, the, the personnel, that's what made it possible. You know, just got lucky, it just got lucky you know? Yep. And so now as we go, we're, we're in our playoff run now that all those feelings really start to creep up again of like, man, um, you know, I'm overlooking things. I'm not doing well enough as a coach, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I have no idea what, if that is a type, <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely feel the imposter syndrome on that level. And then even in business as well, feeling sometimes like a fraud, especially for any business owner that's starting out, there's too many things to know. I mean, there's just, you're not going to know it all. You, I mean, maybe, yeah, you're a good contractor, but you don't know the books. Or maybe you're a really good financial person that buys a business, but you suck as an operator. 
there's never enough to know. And so you are going to feel like a fraud at some point because you can't have experience in all these areas before you start your business. You've got to learn as you go or build the plane as you're flying it. And so I think that in some level, every business owner probably experiences a level of imposter syndrome. So with that being said, I'd like to learn about the five types. Maybe we start with the type that maybe I feel. Well, actually, I want to start with the fact that um, you talk about how, oh, gosh, you know, I just got lucky. Right. Um, because here's something about people who experience imposter syndrome. People who feel like imposters have become very adept at externalizing their success, essentially saying, sure, I'm successful, but I can explain all that. Mm. In other words, we chalk up our accomplishments not to our intelligence, our efforts, our hard work on and off the field, but to external factors. Things like, you know, luck or timing. Oh, it's just a fluke. Oh, we were so lucky that their star player was out sick. And that's why we won. You know, so that's an example from the soccer. I just, you know, happened to be in the right place at the right time. Or we decide it was the supposed simplicity of a task. This idea of if I can do it, anybody can. Um, Valerie once heard a guy, he has a PhD in astrophysics from Caltech. And he said, if I can figure out how to get a PhD in astrophysics, how hard can it, how, how hard can it be? Right? Um, so, you know, that supposed simplicity of the a task, um, it might be, well, we just, it's, I had a lot of, I had good connections, you know, Thankfully, we had, a, you know, a, a, a star kicker, a star goalie. It would, if it wasn't for the goalie, instead of you taking taking that goalie and the rest of the team and making the team work together to win the championship. So it's like, oh, I just happen to have the right people. You can have the right people on a team and they may not win without the coach. So it's the, it's the whole, right? Um, and some people just say the only reason they think it's like a likability. Um, you know, people just like me um, because of my personality. Um, so so there are multiple ways that we externalize our success, but you did name one very specific one. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem, you know, with the fact that we've become so good at externalizing our success is if we're always discounting or disregarding the things that make us successful, and sure, everybody gets lucky sometimes. Everybody has a good connection sometimes. You know, yeah, that's just part of part of it. But if we're always externalizing those wins and those successes, what happens the next time you have another win? You're always like, you're always going to say, "Oh, I fooled them again. I fooled them. Oh, I did it again. I fooled them again." And so you're constantly living in that state of suspension, like that that fear of being found out, which is, you know, that's a big part of imposter syndrome is just dealing with the the stress of when am I going to get busted for being a fraud? I'd like to say quickly is um, you have to be in the game to get lucky. That's yeah. one of the things I tell people. You know, if you're sitting on the sideline, they don't get lucky. So give yourself credit for that. That's just inside. Go ahead. Yeah, I think as you start to externalize these things, I experience it personally as well, really those discounting of the accomplishments, really it becomes this never-ending rat race of trying to achieve and achieve to finally feel satisfied. And the discontentment that you feel in your personal life or as you, yeah, as an individual 
really starts to creep up on you. I mean, like there's so many things that I've accomplished that I completely discount and I don't even think about. Although as a kid, I dreamed about them, right? Like my parents never owned a home, for example, and I bought my first house and, you know, really like our house and it's a great accomplishment. And I don't even think about that now. Like I have to intentionally feel like, like sit, take a step back and look at my house and be like, wow, like we own this, you know? Um, and without yep. doing that, I don't feel, I feel like, man, it's not good enough, you know? And, and it's the same way inside of business, you know, whenever I feel imposter syndrome and I discount some of the things that we've accomplished, I'll run on to the, trying to find out the next service that we can provide or how we can get better and better without just like appreciating what we have and actually scaling that and growing that and having a successful business around it. I'm lost trying to find the next accomplishment, you know? So that there, I think it comes in so many different ways, but it's not just about the discounting of how you feel, but it also impacts your actions for the future uh, in trying to prove yourself, right? It does. You know, it's not always imposter syndrome, you know, like the the what's the next thing we can offer. So A, I just think, you know, gratitude is a good and appreciation for what we've done is a good practice. Um, and I also think as entrepreneurs, like, is and I work with really high performing entrepreneurs who have become very successful and they're like, well, is it my other business, like my coaching business um, before I co-founded Imposter Syndrome Institute with Valerie. Um, you know, part of this is we're always looking for ways to grow. Yeah. Um, it's not always imposter syndrome driving it. Sure. You know, some of it just might be like, that's just how we're wired. We, mm -hmm. you know, what are new things we can do to help people to grow and learn, but sometimes it could be imposter syndrome. And so it's important too to like know the difference. So I'll just give an example of, you know, the person who doesn't go for the promotion, for example, it doesn't mean it's just because they have imposter syndrome and they don't think they can do the job. It might be. And so this is where really informed and effective coaching, why it's so important for their to be coaches who are really understand the nuances of imposter syndrome. But, you know, with a little querying, we might find out that that person doesn't want to go for the promotion because it's going to take too much time away from their family time, or they're going to have to move to another city and they don't want to take their kids out of ex the school or, you know, there could be other reasons for it. So, um, yeah. So I just, I just want to make sure. sure it's not always imposter. Although like a, I, the, the, it's often quoted that 70% of people experience imposter syndrome, wow. but when you get into entrepreneurs, it's in the eighties and 90%. Mm. So, you know, the people, the clients you're dealing with the, you know, your market, it is probably much higher. Did, so let me ask you question real that was one thing i was going to bring up 85 percent, and i'm surprised that it's not higher <laughs> i think you have 85 percent on your uh, uh website one of the studies um, yeah just early on is there any difference between in percentages between men and women i think a lot of men might not want to say that they i mean it's old-fashioned but is there a difference it's pretty universal or not you know it depends because i mean Actually, the highest percent of people who experience like uh, uh, demographic that experiences it are Asian men. Hmm. Really? And it's, really? it's cultural. 
you know, you don't want to bring shame to one's family. So there's like a cultural aspect to it, but it, it, you know, women just deal with it differently. And like you say, some men might be less willing to admit it, but there are, I mean, there are a lot of men who experience it. Um, and, and what we find is when we're brought in by an organization, that's not, not just like a women's employee resource group where it is just going to be women. But if we're just brought into an organization, half the room will be men, sometimes more. So it, so it, it depends on the study, Martin. So I don't want to say men experience it less or women experience more. It's not necessarily the case. But women, definitely, it holds women back more than it does men. I, I just will make my observation, having had over 500 clients over the year, uh, if anything, men are higher. I, Interesting. I, I mean, I, I want people to hear that. I'm not trained as you are, but uh, men are higher. Interesting. Why do you think that is, Martin? I don't know why. Uh, I... I think they're reluctant to admit things. I, I Well, I don't know why. Why is a tough question, <laughs> but is, and it's come from my, I think I mentioned it, I bring the topic up in conversation, not as I want to talk about imposter syndrome, I mention the words. And I always, in looking for, for you, uh, Carolyn, I'm calling around and talk to a project manager who works for one of my clients whose wife is a therapist, and I was going to see if she knew anything on it. And so I told him, I'm looking for somebody to speak on the imposter syndrome and also mental health and construction. And I understand your wife might be willing. He said, well, now what's this imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, this guy's pretty, pretty significant job. He, I said, well, it's basically when you uh, attribute your successes to luck and your failures, you own them. Yeah. He goes, whoa. <laughs> Such a- he goes, I got to hear more about this. <laughs> And so uh, kudos to him for being honest. But yeah, it's just, I hear that all the time. And kudos to you for probably the most concise definition of imposter syndrome I have ever heard. I love the, you know, the uh, oppose the context of that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Well, appreciate that. Uh, so do you think it's something that is, you know, obviously it was co- the, the term imposter phenomenon was coined in the 70s, you said. Mm-hmm. Do we think that? Obviously, you know, humans don't change that much. It's probably existed for millennia. But do we think that it's heightened because of like social media use and the prevalence of seeing successful people around us and, you know, all these different things? Or no, it's probably the same percentages if you go back 50 years. Yeah, it's probably the same. But social media has definitely magnified the conversation and also the misinformation around it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I... I don't know, you know, we don't research. We leave the research to the academics who actually research this stuff, but we take their research. Um, And there are so many studies out there. You know, you've got research by Mayo Clinic talking about uh, imposter syndrome in the medical profession. Mm. You've got, you know, there there are so many different studies out there. There is a study um, that was reported I think it was Nerd Wallet um, back in November or December. It, it, it was a UK study, and the 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 percentages were in the eighties and ninety percent. So it's I think because it's in the public conversation more frequently and more prominently, 
more people are able to identify with it. Right. So, you know, but I don't think the re I don't know that the research would say, oh yeah, it's higher today than it was before. I don't know that the research would necessarily bear that out. Kind of like whenever you're looking for a new car and you're looking for the, you know, white SUV and then all of yeah, a sudden there's white SUVs everywhere and it's like, what? Everywhere, and absolutely. And they've always, and they've been, always been there. You know, I, I would love to, to make absolutely sure, and it might help our listeners kind of narrow in if we talk about the five types. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I do want to mention one thing because I'll forget it, but I have a client near you in New York, here in New York, and he will listen to this, and I'm not going to use his name, but we've had many discussions. But his imposter syndrome has led to him not billing his contract, not billing over $90,000 worth of projects. And we've, he finally did this week, but we got dove into why are you not billing? Because I didn't do a good enough job and he's going to be mad at me and they're going to criticize me. And when he finally looked at it, he billed this week, but it took uh, two months to get him to do that. So that's, that's kind of a specific, measurable, objective consequence. Yeah of how you feel about yourself. And I promise you, I promise you that there are listeners who have not billed. I promise you, I know others who have not billed because they feel that they weren't good enough in what they did. Now, that may not be strictly imposter syndrome, but, but anyway, that's one of the consequences. So back to the five types, yes. not back to, but, but the yeah. five types. Oh my gosh, I, I just, Martin, I just have to say before we get into the five types. Of imposter syndrome. Boy, I have, I, I play a hand in my, my fella's uh, business. And it, that, I mean, boy, those are conversations that are on the reg, those types of things. Yeah. Even when it comes to collections, you know, yep. I, I just find it, it is fascinating, fascinating. Right. I'm like, it's a business. This is, it's a business. So anyway. Um, so let's talk about what the five types are, because, you know, you can if you Google the five types of imposter syndrome, they're originally um, called by Dr. Young the five competence types, but kind of just like it used to be imposter phenomenon. And now it's called imposter syndrome. That's right. That's right off our website. Um, uh, there, there are the five types of imposter syndrome. And basically what. Um, my business partner, Dr. Valerie Young, is known for and where she really made um, inroads on this topic is that she's realized that imposter syndrome is about our relationship, our our judgment, our definition of what competence is and isn't. Competence. And so while everyone has a distorted, everyone with imposter syndrome has a distorted definition of competence. We don't all distort it in the same way. And so she found that people tend to measure their competence in one of five ways. Some people it's three of five ways or five of five ways, but um, that's what leads into these five types of imposter syndrome. So that just helps kind of tee up for the listeners what these five types even like where that even uh, stems from. So the first one, one of the first types that a lot of people can identify with is being a perfectionist. 
And the primary focus for the perfectionist is on how something is done. The perfectionist expects to perform flawlessly 100% of the time. 99 out of 100, not good enough. Uh, so success is rarely satisfying. So this might be, to Khalil's point, you know, oh, gosh, I, you know, we won, but, um, you know, we missed that one. He should have kicked it over there. That should have happened. Or So, you know, again, using the soccer reference or football reference, sorry. I don't know if you call it soccer or football, but, you know, I. He's yeah. a soccer guy. He's a soccer guy. Okay. <laughs> I, I should um, I should share really fast on that. <clears throat> I know that I'm in the middle of this, but I think this is a funny tidbit for listeners and maybe helps people understand why I externalized some of that. But in the semifinals, we went to overtime. If you score, the game's over. It's just like golden goal is what it's called. And we were uh, playing a very good team. And uh, there's a famous goal by Diego Maradona in the World Cup against England. It's called the Hand of God, where he goes up to head the ball, but instead he taps it with his hand. And the referees don't call it, and they win the game against England and win the World Cup. That's essentially what happened to us in the state semifinal to go to the final. Uh. We handballed it in. And anyways, then I know that other coaches are scrutinizing me and like, oh, they shouldn't have won that game. That's the red card. Like, blah, 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 blah. So anyways, go ahead. I know I interrupted, but funny tidbit. And you know what? In that case, there was a little bit of luck, right? But when you think about it, you guys didn't get into the finals just because everything was luck, 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 luck. Sure. So, you know, that's, that is, yeah, I understand. I understand what you're saying there, Khalil. Yep. Um, yeah. So, so a lot of people can identify with the perfectionist and that doesn't mean you don't want to have a high level of excellence. It's just, you know, the, the defeat that comes along with not getting everything perfect. So that's the, um, one very common type. Next is the expert. Um, to be clear, an expert doesn't mean they are an expert or even think they're an expert. Um, you think of the expert as the knowledge version of the perfectionist, where it's not about the, where the perfectionist, it's about the quality of the work. For the expert, it's about the quantity of knowledge and information you know. Mm -hmm. It's how much do you know? And in your mind, you never know enough. Um, there's always one more book to read or one more class to take or something like that. Martin, I thought I saw a hand there. Yeah, yeah it was me pointing at me. Uh, one more guest to get on our podcast. I've got to learn more about this. <laughs> also, you should check out his me. desk. Uh, uh, he's got probably like 12 books stacked up that he's currently reading. And then he's got a whole book, two bookshelves of books. Yeah, just on I business think I have to know. and then you can go to his house yeah. and read all of his poetry and all that stuff too so oh my goodness yeah. wow very prolific yeah that's yeah yeah so there you go you you identify with expert yeah khalil yeah. i'm i'm gonna guess that this next one might and i don't like to project what i know please project but i'm gonna see if project you identify as with much this as possible one. so the next competence type or type of imposter is the natural genius and again mm. this does not mean you are a genius or even think you're a genius what it means is that somehow you came to believe that true competence means have it, means that you have inherent intelligence and ability. Um, so for me, I am a natural genius. I'm like, why didn't this come easily? How come I like didn't know calculus in the first grade? How come I don't know how to manage a team even though I just started my business two seconds ago? Like, so that 
that we judge ourselves based on ease and speed. And so it may not, you may not identify mm. with this one, but that you said, you said something about expecting, um, I think when you were talking about soccer, expecting things to come really easily mm -hmm. and quickly. So that's why I thought it might be you, but maybe not. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. I think I do expect yeah. things to, I, I I should be good right away. Um, yeah, there's, there should not be a learning curve. We, mm -hmm. or I should be able to pick something up faster. That's, that's the natural genius. You just step into something and you expect to hit the ground running and know exactly what to do. Even if, if it's the very first time you've laid a foundation or, you know, built, uh, you know, I, I come across this a lot and, um, most people start a business to do something they already know how to do and that they're good at. And then they're quickly ambushed by all the things that are not related to construction. Yeah. Leadership and culture and goals and marketing and sales and administration and cash flow and HR and IT. And I always tell them, why would you know any of that? Mm -hmm. Cut yourself a break. Mm -hmm. Why would you know? And by the way, you're not ever going to know because you're going to hire somebody. Yeah. So, yeah, bumping up against a natural genius is pretty common. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this next one for the person who does it all themselves is called a soloist. And they believe that true competence requires unaided achievement. Mm. I don't need an office. I can invoice and estimate and do everything myself. I can do all the billing, all the receivable, like everything. That's the soloist. And the soloist thinks that if you were really competent, you wouldn't need any help. You wouldn't need the office support. You wouldn't need, you know, I'll just do everything myself. I'll lay the tile. Yep. I'll install the toilet. I'll do it all. The, the reference might be too old because I use it a lot. And some people don't know, don't remember my cousin, Vinny, but the lawyer who went to the South and he wouldn't marry Melissa Torne, Marissa Torme until he won a case all by himself. Yeah. And at the very end, she goes, oh, no, you're a successful attorney, but it doesn't count because somebody helped you. <laughs> and anyway, it's a perfect example. Just. Hmm. Yeah. Her definition of competence is that. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the fifth competence type is the superhuman. This is this is the perfectionist on steroids. This is the person who not only has to perform perfectly at and flawlessly at work, it, they also need to be the perfect spouse, the perfect parent, the you know host all the family gatherings. Also, co yeah, there you go. Also, coach the soccer team. Yeah, yeah you got it. There's there's the hand raise right there. And everything needs to be all perfect and lined up, all good at the same time. Yeah. That is the super. So those are the five types. You've got your um, perfectionist, expert, natural genius, soloist, and superhuman. Yeah. Wow. What if you're all of them? Well, you know, some In people. In a world of her. Yeah, right? I mean, some people do identify with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the characteristics of each of them. So. Well, we've already discussed some of the uh, consequences of being uh, of imposter syndrome. Always welcome more examples. But if somebody's listening and saying, that sounds like me, what the heck can they do? Yeah. What, what can I do? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are, there are three tools that we recommend. And the first is to normalize it. And having this conversation is one way of doing that. So just bringing it to people's attention and saying, you're not the only one. We there many of us have right. this issue. Um, what someone can do for themselves is 
to reframe it. And that is the second tool that we recommend. And one of the one of the ways to reframe it is to understand, you know, like the the biggest number, the the most common number used is seventy percent of people experience this. Or in in your world, you know, eighty five or ninety percent experience this. So I'm not alone. Um, but what we do is we look at well, what's the difference between someone who feels like an imposter and someone who doesn't? And so because this is part of the reframe. Because what is it about these other? Let's just say. What do you think it is in construction? You think it's eighty percent of your clients experience imposter syndrome? Ninety-five. Ninety-five. Yeah, okay. Ninety, and really a hundred, but I there's probably an outlier out there that's not. All right. Well, let's let's just leave some room open that there are people out there who yeah. truly don't feel like an imposter, and some of those people are suffering from something that um, is even worse than imposter syndrome. It's what we call irrational self-confidence syndrome. This is kind of your Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, smartest guy in the room. They might really suck, but they still, they're like, oh, I'm the but, best. Um, and they believe it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, okay, we're just going to set them aside because nobody really wants to be that person. But there are people who, um, who are genuinely humble, but have never felt like an imposter. And the reason we need to understand this group is because um, is because there's only one difference between the people who are humble but have never felt like imposters and those of us who don't. They are no more talented or intelligent or capable or qualified than you or me. Um, the only difference between them and us is that in the exact same situation where we might feel like an imposter, they're thinking different thoughts. That's it. Um, so all we have to do is learn to think like them. Mm. And they have a different relationship with, uh, they, have a, they have a different understanding, a more realistic understanding of what it means to be competent. We just talked about those five imposter types. Those are all kind of distorted definitions of what it means to be competent. So a humble realist is what Valerie calls it. Um, has this different definition of what it means to be competent. They think and respond differently to failure and mistakes and constructive criticism. And they think and respond differently to fear because we're, you know, there's, there's a, a fear, right? So, so reframing what competence really means. So understanding that you know, wow, if I could just think a little differently about my situation, about what I think competence is, about when a customer complains about something, if I can just kind of reframe that, then that is going to, that's a, a very important step that an individual can take on their own. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad we left a percentage there because somebody just came to mind, client of mind, who is not an imposter. Mm-hmm. Khalil, he's going to be a guest on our show here in the next number of weeks. <laughs> yeah. I thought, oh, yeah. He may be, but it's not evident, and I've worked with him a long time. Yeah. So, okay. So it's not everybody. I think. But it's most. I, I think for myself, you know, as far as thinking different thoughts, I like that you said that. And it reminds me that for, like, if I'm in a healthy space, it's usually because I've took some time to journal. Um, I, I really enjoy journaling. Uh, when I get really busy, I don't. But if I take time to journal for 15, 20 minutes, it can really change the way that I see the day, the world, my tasks, all that kind of stuff. And 
it almost reminds me a little bit, um, if you've ever read the Psalms from the Bible, um, sometimes David would like start a Psalm and he's, the world is going to end and I'm the worst person in the world and God has banished me and he doesn't care about me. And by the end of the Psalm, he's like, oh, he's so good. Life is great. Like, I'm so thankful. Like, praise the Lord. And uh, it just reminds me, like, that's basically what happens when I journal. It starts with just like, man, the world is awful. I suck. I, I did this wrong. I did this bad. Uh, this person hates me, whatever it is. But by the end, I'm like, oh, okay, like, here's a path forward and it's going to be okay. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is if you, for myself, if I don't get some of those bad thoughts out, that thinking that is, you know, self-deprecating and that the imposter syndrome thoughts I don't get those out, then they just kind of marinate in my head and they just stew around and uh, continue to bog me down. But if I can get them out, whether it's talking to somebody or primarily for myself journaling, because I don't really enjoy sharing a lot, although I'm sharing a lot right now, um, <laughs> I I think that when I do journal them, it really does help me to move past them uh, and to see them at yeah. face value as well. Yeah. And being a superhuman, you know, as you journal and think about reframing a situation, you know, a humble realist is going to understand that, you know, nobody excels at everything mm -hmm. all the time and and especially not at the same time. So, you know, just I know you're a soccer guy, but if we can use baseball as an analogy, yeah. you know, you can't expect yourself to be the star pitcher, star catcher, star hitter and star outfielder all at once. It's just not possible. So you know, as you're journaling and thinking about, for, you know, for anyone who ad identifies as a superhuman, you might one day you rock it at work, but you might not on the soccer field. One day you rock it on the soccer field, but you suck as a parent yeah. because your kid's mad at you, like whatever it is. And so it's just, you could still have high standards, but just give yourself, a, you know, permission to be a mere mortal like the rest of with like the rest of us. I feel really well, found out right now. I feel like you've just like diagnosed my entire <laughs> life of superhuman. Khalil, I, I've known, as long as I've known you, that you're a mess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, no. Well, you know, yeah, journaling is tell. a great idea. I can idea. tell that exactly describes you, Khalil. What <laughs> yeah, a mess. Yeah, Every, right. everybody knows Khalil's a mess. <laughs> Hardly. Everybody knows that. It's common knowledge. Yeah. Journaling is a, is a good example, but somebody who has a realization and buys into what you've been talking about. And we say the simple thing like, don't think like that anymore. Well, if I've been thinking like that for 50 years, do you have exercises, drills, realizations, things that people can do to begin to change their self-limiting beliefs, their thoughts? Uh, I don't know, maybe it takes counseling in a group where people point. How, how can somebody really do this? So some of it, it some of it, one of the things we didn't even talk, get to is that there are reasons we have com come to this distorted definition of competence. There are sources for this. And in Valerie's book, she talks about the seven sources of imposter syndrome. And, you know, one of them is, you know, if you were raised by humans, uh, you might experience imposter syndrome if you, you know, um, so like you, some people may have grown up. I'm just going to give a couple of examples. Some people may have grown up with the messaging that anything less than perfect, you bring home your grades and there's one B on your report card and your parents are like, what is that B doing there? What's the message? That anything less than perfection is not good enough. 
And so that that could be a source for it. Another source, you might be in an industry culture where it uh, provokes or stokes imposter feelings. Um, if you are one of a few or the only person in a room who looks or sounds like you, like international students, when when we're out delivering talks um, at, a, at a university, for example, the international students are always the first, the biggest group to show up because they're they're studying and living in a different culture, probably in a different language. They don't feel like they belong, and so that can create that that experience of feeling like an imposter. So they're organizational, situational, diversity driven, confidence driven, familial. Like there are so many reasons. So. Another reframe is just to say, well, of course I feel I'm having an imposter moment because, you know, this situation kind of drives this kind of feeling or the organizational culture drives this kind of feeling or this. So it's like understanding the source and being able to just go, oh, of course I feel that way is also very helpful. And then you can go to that point of reframing and saying, you know what, I'm not going to get everything perfect or I don't need to know everything to be effective or, you know, so kind of looking at the source of what's driving it, like the kind of, and then also looking at your definition of competence and realizing it's probably a little wonky. I'm, I'm glad that you said that because uh, I think it would probably apply to minorities, not just in the sense of culture and ethnic background, but also just you're the finance guy that acquired a construction company, but you've never picked up a hammer and you go into the room. You're going to feel that. But, you know, I felt that growing up between living in Morocco and living in the U.S. I mean, in, in the U.S., I was the Moroccan kid. And in Morocco, I was the American kid. And I never felt like I, you know, you know, in Morocco, it was more so language became a little bit of an issue where I felt self-conscious about it. But then also in America, I felt like the cultural aspect I never really grasped and I didn't have the the same, you know, lifestyle and things like that. So uh, definitely understand that. I think anytime you're a minority, that it's probably a heightened risk of imposter. Yeah. Well, Khalil, I hate to say good things right when you can see me, but to me and to most people I know, you're the cool kid who's equally at ease in Morocco and the U.S. And you speak three languages, sure. Farsi, French, and English, and it's awesome. So there you go. Put that well, in I think that's probably the reality is just reframing it like you are the cool kid or, you know, you are the different one and people are excited like, oh, you're the finance guy that acquired the company. And man, tell me about how you have so much value in your company and how you, you know, change the profit around, you know, whatever it is. I think that's probably valuable to the people that are the of the majority. Like, oh, you've got a different perspective. Help us. Right. So really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, as as people think about how to change their thoughts and they think about, you know, how I have imposter syndrome, what are some of the ways that like, maybe some stories that you have of people that you've coached or worked with that have actually changed that around and, and changed their thinking? Where were they at and how, what was the transformation like? Do you know, do you have any? Well, I'm going to say that the transformation is ongoing. So, sure. you know, um, because it j just to your point earlier, oh, we, you know, we, became successful in this area and now we're looking at what's the next thing we can offer and what's the next thing we can do. And with that new level, 
comes new challenges and new experiences and new situations where it's like, are we really going to be able to pull this off? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Can I do this? Are pe- people going to figure out that I like that last thing was just a total fluke? I can't imagine. It. So it's always going to come. I mean, you have people like Howard Schultz, what the CEO of Starbucks, who talks about the imposter experience and says, you know, every CEO it doesn't just go into the chair going, I've got this. Like the CEO even has self-doubt. And so um, now I forgot your question. That's okay. But- and examples. It's okay. No, it's all good. Just just say the example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the and, transformation. And so, so it is being able to think like a humble realist and say, oh, what am I doing to myself here? Like, I, I I think I have to get everything perfect. What makes me think I have to get everything perfect? Who gets everything perfect all the time? So that's part of it is that self-talk. Or uh, let's say there's a little constructive criticism that comes your way. Uh, saying, all right, you know what? That comes as part, you're right. We didn't do this as well. And that's okay because everybody makes mistakes sometimes. So the examples of people who have changed their relationship with their definition of competence might be the doctor who went up to my partner, Dr. Young, and said, you know what? I used to not do challenging surgeries because I was afraid that I wasn't as good at my job, and now I'm doing more challenging surgeries and saving lives. That is an example of someone who changed their definition of competence. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're flying my plane or performing surgery on me, I want you to be a perfectionist. But there might be something <laughs> else holding you back. So, right. uh, so you know. But you know, if it's construction, unless you're you know building buildings in Turkey and they don't care what the how how you know how the is it Turkey where the um, where the um, earthquakes were and all those buildings just yeah shattered to smithereens. We don't want sloppy. Mm. Obviously, you want the level of work to still be great, but looking at what your relationship is, like Martin, you mentioned um, someone who said they didn't have imposter syndrome, but then didn't want to be a part of a mastermind with fellow entrepreneurs because, oh my gosh, what if people find that they're all so great and I'm not? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That is yeah, that person's yeah. going to listen to this too. But again, we're not using any name. I'm and glad I know, everybody's I know listening. She, <laughs> I, know, I know she will because I'm going to send her the link. And I have to tell something and I'm going to pause because you may want to cut this out. Clearly. I don't cut anything out, Martin. Okay. Well, you might want this. My In my family, it's like my fourth great uncle or third or fourth great uncle was a PhD scientist, chemist, and he worked, I think, for DuPont. And he had a premise he was pursuing. And in the course of pursuing it, he came up with 20 or 25 patents for DuPont. And it turned out that his premise was wrong and he killed himself. Wow. Now, I didn't know him. You know, this isn't a personal tragedy for me, but it's a family story. And that's a, that's why we may want to cut it. I don't no, know. I mean, I think it's important to but, hear. But that is, that is the level, and I know his name. not going to use it. But that's the only reason I know who he is. But we're sitting here and watch that and just go, well, are you kidding me? He did all these things. But they were accidents. He was pursuing something that was in, proved to be wrong, and the accidents were great. But his 
Well, you, every, well, you understand immediately. And, and that brings up uh, an interesting thing that, like, even just an approach to, to business and life, I, uh, Google X, I think is what it's called, they created a program where they employed hundreds of people, usually recent college graduates, and their whole job was to prove something to be impossible. And if you could prove something to be impossible, you got a three-month paid vacation. And that was the whole premise. And by trying to prove something to be impossible, they actually found out a lot of things that they thought were impossible were actually possible and created new products. And that's how you have Google Earth. That's how you have you know, your Google Maps that you use today. But all that was in the 90s or like, uh, sorry, early 2000s that they developed all these ideas. And, you know, just like he proved something to be wrong, he proved a lot of things to actually be possible and right. So right. Uh, just understanding that failure can also be success. All of this talk reminds me a little bit of the Marianne Williamson quote, I guess is her name. I, it's attributed to Nelson Mandela a lot of times, but our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Uh, I think it kind of plays in line with that. Yeah, that's great. Um, there's more to it than that, but I think that plays in line with the quote that's on your your website, Carolyn, as well. Um, so anyways, uh, this has been a fantastic well, one, conversation. Well, real quickly before we go, uh, thank you, but are there some resources? I mean, we'll put them in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, uh, Valerie's book, of course, but, you know, if uh, some resources that people could pick up and maybe integrate into their lives and, and make change over time. Yeah. Well, we do have a lot of resources on our website, impostorsyndrome.com. And, you know, you you printed out one of them, which is about yeah. the five types. We we do have information on different sources, the different coping mechanisms that people exhibit uh, in order to deal with their stress of have feeling like an imposter. Uh, lots of articles. So, uh, you know, our website, obviously... Um, anything we do, I'm going to recommend. There's also um, a great book called um, Whistling Vivaldi, which is written by Claude Steele. And he talks about our um, how we it's about uh, patterns related to stereotypes. And so that would be an another good book to pick up that's not going to talk about imposter syndrome but it's going to give you a way to start looking at how you kind of think the world should be and how you should be going through the world and maybe give you another perspective on how to go about doing that. Whistling Vivaldi. Mm -hmm. By Claude Correct. Steele. Yeah. Claude Steele. We'll put those in the show notes for listeners. Um, I'll put that on my stack of books. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I, I was going to If I don't know this, I'm a loser, <laughs> right? Now that right, we've introduced right. the topic, no. if I can't get it, I'm no good. <laughs> Now, this is just fantastic. I can't thank you enough for being on it. Yeah. it it's just a huge issue. And uh, one last thing I want to say, one, one of the ways I describe to people is, is great business leaders tend to view business as an adventure. Mm. Okay. And adventure includes risk and failure and climbing the mountain and having an easy trip downhill and uphill. And it's not personal. I mean, well, it is a personal journey, but this is an adventure. Of course, we're going to have difficulties. That's why we call it an adventure. And so something that maybe 
people can start to thinking of what they do as as an adventure and not not a failure or perfection. I actually find that is the best way I have of coping with the challenges of business by going, this is fun. This kind of sucks a little bit, but this is really fun because I'm learning something about myself. I'm learning something about my business partner or my client or what works in a sales conversation and what doesn't. Or so like coming at it with that, um, that spirit of this is a fun challenge has definitely changed my results in my business. Uh, businesses, I've been in business over 20 years. It's just imposter syndrome Institute has just come around in the last few. So um, one other thing I do want to mention is we have a program that actually you two might want because you're coaching business owners and GCs, um, which is the imposter syndrome informed manager Mm. and um, or the imposter syndrome informed coach, two different programs. Um, But it really helps you because you we're not big fans of saying you've got imposter syndrome and here's what you're a perfectionist and you need to do this. Like we're not big fans of that because it doesn't necessarily, it it may not land and it may not really be the situation. Um, And it's a highly nuanced, very multifaceted topic. So it's a resource that we don't have any public classes set for either of those programs right now, but it might be something you know, if, if a contractor has a larger um, organization or you want that for working with your clients, just so you become better and better and better at um, really understanding the nuances of it, that is something that I would just keep your eye on our website for. I, uh, I've looked at that on your website and I saw there was one currently, yeah. but I'll, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for being on the Cashflow Contractor. It's been a pleasure having you. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely link to all of your stuff in the show notes. Listeners should definitely check you out. And uh, yeah, you've, you've helped a lot of people just by making it aware on our show today. So thank you. Thanks for the invitation, guys. Nice to meet you. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.